Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Ginny Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. On today's podcast, we bring back one of our favorite guests, Leanne Davey, a New York Times bestselling author of You First, Inspire Your Team to Grow Up, Get Along, and Get Stuff Done. Some of the nicest, most empathetic, most wonderful managers are making the biggest mistakes in planning their back-to-the-office agenda. They're trying to be empathetic and nice and wonderful. They're asking their employees, what are you thinking about return to work? The only problem Trying to be nice and fair just isn't working. How can you be fair to everyone? You can't. In the podcast you've all been waiting for, Leanne Davey deals with the top three problems of returning to work. Number one, going in with no boundaries or guidelines. Number two, getting all hung up on fairness. And number three, optimizing for individuals rather than optimizing for the team overall. Spoiler alert. You have to have some non-negotiables before you just let everyone decide. You'll love this episode. It answers almost every question you've had about getting your team back together for time in the office. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Ginny Bianco Mathis on the East Coast, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast. And today we are excited to again have a wonderful guest. We just had to have her back. This yes. woman did not stop. Leanne Davey. Leanne, welcome again. Thanks. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, and, and let me bring remind folks, bring them up to speed on your wonderful work. Um, Leanne is a New York Times bestselling author of You First, Inspire Your Team to Grow Up get along and get stuff done. She's a contributor to the Harvard Business Review. She sought at her uh, after, after, including us, uh, but CNN, NPR, USA Today, and on and on. We just love seeing you everywhere. And thank you for letting us be a part of that network. Oh, well, I love the whole Team Anywhere mission. So this is a good place for me to be. Okay, great. To have the team doctor herself here. Um, <laughs> wonderful. Well, last time you were here, you talked about conflict and, and teams, which is your baby. My and, baby. Um, which you keep mining and using in your work in such creative ways. And you uh, wrote an article briefly, not briefly, I'm sure, that <laughs> we reviewed, and we'd like to talk about today because it's just so timely. And you began by sharing the pitfalls that leaders often fall into um, when they are trying to have tough conversations about returning to the office. And we're hearing so much about that. <laughs> yes, Not definitely. But can you share those and, and share why being careful is so important? 
Yeah, I've started to have conversations with people who are putting the toe in the water on those return to work conversations. And the first thing I'll say is it's some of the nicest, most empathetic, most wonderful managers who are making the biggest mistakes, which is in trying to be empathetic and nice and wonderful. Because what they're doing is they're just kind of broaching the conversation with no structure and just kind of saying, so what are you thinking about return to work? And after I wrote the article, I actually was um, at our uh, on vacation with my cousin, who is in the high tech industry, and he manages a team in various locations. And this happened to him while we were together. So I was laughing because it was kind of, okay, we're returning to the office and this person works in San Francisco and all was good. And the employee was like, well, I was thinking, I think I'm going to stay in China. So like, is that, is that cool if I just stay here 12 hour time difference? And it was one of those mistakes where it's like, you know what? We don't want to walk into return to work conversations with a blank slate. We want to start by actually having some guidelines and, and some organizations are figuring this out that we need to have some boundaries and some guidelines and some managers are figuring it out. But unfortunately, the really kind of the managers who are trying to be great managers and want everybody to like them are just kind of giving away the farm when they say, hey, so what were you thinking? Right. I was thinking Bora Bora and, you know, working three hours every day from eight to 11. Is that cool? So that's a big mistake. Um, Another mistake uh, and pitfall that I'm really worried about for people is, again, I think these are bigger problems for kind, nice, generous managers than for jerks. But the kind, nice, generous ones are so worried about being fair. How can I be fair to everyone? And I don't know if nobody's ever had this conversation with you before, but there's kind of no such thing as fair. Fair is such a nebulous concept. And some people you're going to interact with, if you're a leader, are going to believe that fairness uh, is equality. So fairness is you do the same thing for everyone. And we hear these cries, right? Well, that's not consistent. You need to be consistent. So there are people who think fairness is, well, I said, This person has to work three days in the office and two days at home. That means I have to do that for everybody. So that's one version of fairness. But the other version of fairness is equity, that the inputs and the outputs make sense together. And in that case, it may be, well, this person works in the mailroom and it's really hard to work in a mailroom remotely. Um, Or this person's an administrative assistant and it's not the same as somebody who is doing independent work that's all computer work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the second pitfall is getting too wrapped up in worrying about what if someone thinks this isn't fair? My encouragement is to, first of all, just realize that fairness has very different forms and to figure out which version do, do you think makes sense for you, makes sense for your team, makes sense for your business. And then explain your thinking. And you can just say that. I struggled to come up with an approach that was fair because, you know, I couldn't, I had to balance how much fairness was about consistency and how much fairness was about making sense for different jobs. And and here's where I've landed and here's why. So not getting caught in the trap of being immobilized in these conversations by thinking everybody has to be the same um, because that's not fair if it's not. Um, And then the last thing would be that 
again, these wonderful, caring, empathetic, kind managers are having these one-on-one conversations, which I recommend. But at some point, if you are so focused on optimizing for the individual, what, oh, I know you have kids in school, you don't, you, you know, et cetera. cetera. You live far from here. You live like two minutes away. When you optimize for every single individual, what you don't want to do is then sub-optimize for the team. So if all of a sudden you've got this amazing thing and somebody being in Mary's here Mondays and Tuesdays and, you know, Frank is here Thursdays and Fridays, and all of a sudden you realize the team is never together in the office a single day. Oh, well then we've just optimized for each individual and sub-optimized for the team. So I think you need to balance both of those things. So those are the three pitfalls I'm seeing right now. So just going in with no boundaries or guidelines, getting all hung up on fairness and then optimizing for individuals rather than optimizing for the the team overall. All those are fabulous. And I would suspect in working with leaders, helping them then have something to deal with, but what you call the non-negotiable boundary. Yeah. Yeah. I think non-negotiables are so useful and, and we shouldn't feel sheepish about this. This is work. People are being paid. It's okay to have non-negotiables. So I'm working with an organization right now, and I think they've done a great job of this. They've said their non-negotiables are three days in the office minimum. And they've said the minimum non-negotiable is everybody is working nine to three. And then you can time shift if you want to start seven to three. Great. If you want to do nine to five, great. But these are our core business hours that we're going to tell our customers. We're going to tell everyone else we're available. So uh, that's great, right? Be clear. And, you know, I, I really hope that organizations are thinking differently, being more liberal about what's possible. And I hope those guiding principles are few and far between and a bit of a light touch, but it's better to have them than not have them. Totally. And it, it helps the individual too. Yeah, it helps. It's well, and people, it's a parenting strategy, right? It's like kids don't thrive without some boundaries. They do really well with some boundaries. I love the example of, you know, you got to get clean. You want a bath or a shower, right? And if the kid says sprinkler in the backyard, you're like, well, creative. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, you know, a a little bit of boundary makes people feel more calm, less anxious. We we need that little bit to know that we can predict there's some sense to our world. Right. Right. And uh, one last comment on that, the same thing with trying to satisfy everybody and fairness. And someone says, well, that's not fair. I hear that Billy, blah, blah. Letting them know, oh, if you have uh, an issue, let's talk about it. And here's when and how we can do that. To stop all of that irritating chatter and and what you call drama uh, is so important. Yeah. Important. Nobody got time for drama. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So you also talk about something called work towards a plan. Uh, Can you explain what is required to make that? work? Yeah. So I think where we started is a good segue, right? So before you engage with any individual, 
get those guiding principles clear. And there's going to be two parts to the guiding principles. One, as a manager, don't go creating your own policy because it might be that your organization has its own policy. So first check in with HR or check in about, is there an organizational policy? You don't want to be creating rules that don't jive with those from your organization. So start there. And then secondly, but what would work for me and my team and how I operate and the work that we need to do and and who our customers and stakeholders are. So those two aspects of figuring out the boundaries need to happen before you engage. Then the next thing to do is send an email, send a note, say it in a team meeting that, hey, I'm going to speak with each of you individually to get a sense of you know, what are your guiding principles? What are your boundaries? What works for you? So I'm going to share mine with you now, give you some time to think about it. And I would like to speak with each of you in the next week to hear, you know, what would be ideal for you? What are some of the important things? So giving people a heads up. I think a lot of managers, what they do is they just, you know, in the regular one-on-one or they just call them up. They're like, so what are you thinking? Well, you know, That's a very awkward and challenging conversation to advocate for yourself. So we want people to have the time to be prepared and to be able to come to that conversation with some good thoughts and examples. Oh, I love that. Really, really, really important. And, you know, that if we go back to conflict being my baby, um, when you have a, a not a level playing field on how much each person has thought things through and is prepared and emotionally ready for a conflict, it's going to end poorly. (laughs) So it's just a general principle applied to this situation. Don't, Don't expect someone to just off the top of their head be able to advocate in a compelling way for what they need. Give them some time to collect their thoughts. So that's- How do you how do you create the non-negotiables? Who creates the non-negotiables? Yeah. So it depends on your organization. I would say some are organizational. So this company I was just talking about, the three days a week and the nine to three, that's company-wide. And they have people in the US, Canada, Australia, they have people all over. And it's like, we don't care what continent you're on. You're going to be in the office three days and you're going to be uh, working nine to three as a minimum. Um So I think it is helpful for companies to have some rough guidelines that are corporate unless your company is just so radically different that, you know, um, we've worked with Amazon, right? And so the Amazon people in the warehouse, there's no resemblance between them and the people who work on cybersecurity for AWS websites. So if your company is that diverse and different... Probably a single company policy doesn't make sense, but for the vast majority of companies, I would encourage there to have, you know, at least a few things where it's, look, this is going to be true for all of us. But then as a manager, I really believe there are places where you can make the rules even more tailored, more efficient, and more effective for your own team. So it may be that you see it's kind of nested. There's some sort of company-wide things or maybe some divisional things or maybe some team things. So it really, it just depends on the situation you're in. Yeah, I'm just wondering like for um, down in San Diego, we have smaller companies um, than Amazon. Yeah. We, have, we have a lot of <laughs> Most Amazon. Most companies down. are smaller than Amazon. Yeah. yeah. We have a, we have a lot of Amazon down here. How does the, how does the um, leadership team come to those those have that different, you know, I've got the yeah. different conversation person right here. In yeah, front yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, 
uh, actually, I was in one of these conversations yesterday uh, with an executive team looking at their real estate footprint and trying to decide how much of our real estate do we want to keep based on what are our assumptions about mm-hmm. how much time we'll be in the office. So I was just in this yesterday. Right, so I feel right. like this is very, um, you know, I think you really want to start with the customer in the center of this conversation. You know, what do our customers need from us? Do they need us to be physically together? Will it change their experience of what we do? If you're a retailer and your your retail people are thinking of not coming into the stores, yes, I would say customers have, have a point of view. So I would say start with customer centricity and then really think about what is our business and what have we learned over the last 18 months about what actually has to be done and is better in person versus what was just a story we were telling ourselves? In the first month of the pandemic, it was amazing how the world ground to a halt. We can't do anything. Okay. And then at some point is like, well, if this is going to keep going on, I had a company that didn't have a CEO. Like, well, I guess we probably can't go without a CEO forever. So maybe we're actually going to have to interview and hire a CEO virtually. So if we can do that, there's a lot we can do without being together. So I, you know, starting with what what's our purpose as an organization and how is that affected by whether we're together or not? Then, you know, what's our operation look like? How much of that can we possibly move to, um, you know, having flexibility and kind of starting there and, and using your imagination. But I'm seeing companies go in very different directions in terms of those who at the top are saying, look, there is culture, there is a feeling, there is collaboration, there's the sparks of innovation that we believe don't happen if people aren't physically co-located. So we're going back to the office. And others who've said, really, I think it's like 20% of stuff we do that benefits from being together. The rest, we're just less productive in an office and more distracted and a longer commute. And so it really, to me, these decisions should be made first based on what your customer needs, second, based on what's the culture you're trying to create. But, you know, I personally believe we need to to move more toward the flexibility of remote in more situations. It's going to allow us to get more diverse talent. It's going to bring um, people who have families, create a lot more convenience for them in the workplace, people with disabilities. So one of the training programs I was doing, it was amazing because a, a woman said to me, um, the pandemic has been the best thing that's ever happened to my career because I have all of the assisted stuff for my blindness on my home computer. My whole setup is optimized. She said, I feel zero deficit of mm-hmm. being blind when and- I'm working remotely versus when I have to figure out you know, public transit and I have to get to the office and, and people are writing on whiteboards and a whiteboard doesn't have assisted technology. And like, it was amazing for me realizing that diversity is going to benefit in many ways from this, from remote work. And so, you know, I'm really encouraging teams to say, how far can you push it? Um, oh, what a powerful example. Yeah, it was a great example. Yeah. I, I thought it was amazing. And I'm so glad she shared it with me. Yeah. But yeah. she said, your materials are so great because I could, and thank you for sending your materials in advance because I could run them all through my assistive technologies. And so I, I was in great shape. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> new ways of thinking. Then how do you handle conversations uh, now with the with um, these variants? So yeah. we, we as a team have decided we're going to be in the office three days a week, yeah. um, no matter what. And then all of a sudden, 
we find out that someone in the office had is it has COVID. Do we say? Do we go? Do we need to reevaluate, or do we say no? We're we're committed. We made a decision. Yeah, and this is how we go forward. Yeah. So I think we get into sort of personal opinions here. You know, I think as an employer. I don't want to jeopardize the health and safety of my employees. I work with so many companies that have strong safety cultures. So they start every meeting with a safety minute and they're doing their five minute presentation on the risk of leaving file cabinet drawers open. So like if that company then says, well, we got a positive case, but we've said that we're coming in. So it just doesn't make sense. So I personally believe that if you're trying to create a culture that we care about you as a human, then in that situation, I would at least create choice. (laughs) So, um, okay, the situation has changed. So one, there's health and safety. So we've got the health and safety of the person themselves. So um, they may not be fully vaccinated. They, you know, whatever else it may create, they may have an underlying condition that even if they're fully vaccinated, a breakthrough case of the variant might still be more risky to them. We see that we may see that we may not, but we might not see that they have um, their mother-in-law living with them. I've heard a lot of people say this. It's not about me. I'm not worried. I'm double vaccinated. I, I feel like a breakthrough infection is still only going to be mild. But even though my mother-in-law is double vaccinated, you know, I think she's the kind of case where a breakthrough could be dangerous. I can't take that risk on her behalf, or I don't want to take that risk on her behalf. And then it can just be simple, practical things, which is, uh, you know, the kids are, um, the kids aren't going to be off school because of this for a week or two, or my kid's class has been isolated and my partner's an essential worker and can't stay home. So I got to be right. So there's just so much where flexibility as your first mindset and caring about the people and then saying, if we can meet our customers' needs, the little flexibility in a way that meets our employees' needs too, that's the kind of employer I would want to work for, right? As opposed to, we said we were going back to the office and nothing was going to turn us in the, right? Like, right. And, and Leanne, I have found, and um, I would love your opinion on what you've done about this, making sure, and it's usually going back to a question that you asked, Mitch, about who should be this group, this team, this leader, um, who are having these initial discussions yeah. to then say, well, here's going to be a protocol, yeah. the, unnego- the non-negotiables. Yeah. Um a lot of when the leader himself or herself is stuck. Yeah. I love the statement that you said about what's true versus the story we're telling ourselves. Right. There's a lot of that here. Well, I have found making sure in the room there's the devil's advocate person or people. Yeah. Who say, well, that's interesting, Joe. I know you feel better having those people there. And Let's look at what actually has happened in the last six yeah. years. Some of the greatest breakthroughs have been on those Zoom calls when we did one, two, and three. Yeah, exactly. We are still trying to to get a certain leader. Well, he, he, he is stuck. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what happened, uh, and kudos to them, is the rest of the team said, you know what? We're going forward with this way. I'm a big proponent of that. In in You First, the whole proposition of the book, You First, somebody said, why did you write a 
book about team effectiveness and call it you first. I said, because the deal I make with the reader is that I'm going to help you fix your team from any seat at the table. So one of the things I talk about is think about abusive, um, horrible parents and think about when the siblings get together (laughs) and they conspire, they can protect each other, they can support each other, they can stand up to things. So uh, I think that's very true on teams too. Uh, A bad leader is is not necessarily your destiny, right? If you all stand together and say, this makes no sense for us, this doesn't make sense for our customers, this doesn't make sense for our employees, we're going to stand up to this, there is strength in numbers in that sense. So I really encourage people, even if it's the leader, um, if, if everyone uh, stands together to say this is not going to work, you have much more power than if, uh, if one person alone tries to, tries to go to, yes, go to bat. Exactly. Um, there's a, another notion you shared, uh, and, and you shared so many other things. Um, I just want to get your input on when you said, make sure you differentiate having a problem with the plan versus having a problem with the implementation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So when I was reading this article, I thought, okay, I- I'm worried that there are going to be people who, um, who moved to this new, whatever this new work arrangement is, and it doesn't work out. But it's two very different scenarios. If it doesn't work out because it was a bad plan, in which case it wasn't the person's performance, it, in some sense, it wasn't their fault. It was a plan. They stuck to the plan, did as they committed, and it didn't work out. Versus no, it wasn't necessarily the plan that didn't work. Is that the person didn't stick to the plan. So let's just take a couple, make it a little more practical. So let's imagine that in your plan, you said the person could work from home on Mondays. You agreed, we're going to work from home on Mondays. So the problem with the plan version is it turned out sales has their big meeting on Mondays and we've had you calling into that meeting, but everyone else is in the room And so your voice isn't being heard and you're not being able to contribute. To me, that's a problem with the plan. If the person showed up to the call every Monday um, and yet it didn't go well, despite their best efforts, that's a problem with the plan. So can we change your Monday to maybe it being Friday that you're not in or Wednesday or whatever, so that you're in person for the call? So that's changing the plan. That's completely different from we said Monday and uh, you haven't been saying a thing on the calls and, uh, you know, a few times like I could hear, I don't know, whatever, motorboats in the background. I got the sense that maybe you weren't where, where you weren't in your home office. You know, that's a problem with performance, the implementation of the plan. And the other thing that I thought was important to say in the article was that there are also, it's not just about the employee, the manager can also have either not had the right plan. So um, we planned for this and our our one-on-one time was going to be every Thursday when you were in the office. And then as the manager, I was finding I was out of the office on Thursdays and and you didn't get your one-on-ones. You're getting your one-on-ones only once a month. Well, that's the manager where the plan isn't working for the manager. So remember, it's not always the employee, but it can also be the, the plan was fine and the manager's behavior is just bad. So just remember, so I, in the article I did as a bit of a two by two to say, is the issue with the plan or with the implementation of the plan? And is the issue with the manager 
or with the employee. And you have to be open to the fact that you're going to own some of what's not working. So if it's a problem with the plan, then we just want to revisit the plan. We don't have to get all excited in a kerfuffle about it. Just need to say, okay, we set this plan and we've lived with it for six weeks. And and my sense is we need to adapt the plan. Yes. And, yeah. and that's fine. If what it is, is performance, treat it like any other performance issue. It's irrelevant that it's virtual or remote. It's just a performance issue. So yeah, getting your head around the fact that um, that what you find when we try this, when we implement our plans, we need to be ready for the fact that there's different scenarios that can play out. Either you know the plan wasn't great, the implementation of the plan wasn't great on the side of either you as the manager or the team member. So lots to consider when we try this out. And I would encourage a, a quick, when you set the plan, say, let's do that for two weeks and we'll have a check-in at the end of the two weeks where we can make any modifications and then a longer term, you know, let's, let's make a couple tweaks in two weeks and then let's let it ride for three months or so and then reevaluate. I like the idea of committing forever to what the plan is going to be. Yeah. Um, so making sure you've set up front when you're going to revisit and the magnitude of changes to the plan you're willing to make at two weeks and then at some And then let people know that. Yes. Because they'd love Absolutely. to say, well, wait a minute, you said it was this. Yeah. No, we yeah. we're reevaluating in these periodic segments. Yeah. And you could like... And having those make sense in either the business. So this is great, but you know, we know our busy season starts in November. So can we reevaluate mid October to be ready for the busy season? Or it might be, this is all great in the summer, but my kids are going back to school. So let me see how this works when the kids are in school, anything like that. So yeah, having that conversation from the beginning, because if you just make the plan and you don't agree on when you're going to evaluate it, uh, then the person may give up too soon. Uh, they they may, you know, it may feel like a surprise ambush to them when you you come to them to say it's not working. So setting those in advance. Again, back to these, level the playing field, help people have a little more control and predictability in their lives. All of these things make hard conversations a little bit easier. And uh, hard conversations, for me, it's building the infrastructure so those conversations happen on a regular basis. Absolutely. Get out of that hole that a lot of leaders, unfortunately, yeah. have fallen into from time to time. Well, well, we sent them the plan. <laughs> Why isn't it working? Yes. Well, you yes. didn't see anything underneath it. Yeah. 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 And that's why I just love that you had that in the article. Yeah. I, I thought that was important to include. Right. right. Well, you have shared uh, different scenarios, different uh, uh, kinds of leaders and, and the importance of quite frankly, juggling a lot of balls. Yeah, this is hard. I, I actually, I have a lot of empathy for managers navigating these conversations. This is hard. Um, and you know, we're we're navigating the changes in for each individual compounded by how that affects you know the relationships between the individuals on your team but it's not just your organization that's changing your vendors your suppliers your customers they're all changing at the same time so it's like this big machine where all the cogs and wheels are turning in different ways and so you may think you have the perfect plan but you hadn't realized that your vendors are doing something differently or whatever else so just be prepared for the fact that 
so many things are going to click into place at different times and you're going to have to iterate and that's okay. So it all comes down to the boy scout motto, right? Just be prepared. Be prepared. Absolutely. I know. I know. I was a girl, was a girl guide. So I, I agree. Well, I agree. Well, Leanne, um, how can folks get in touch with you? So LeanneDavy.com is the best way to find me. Um, they can find the good fight uh, pretty much everywhere, thankfully. Uh, and then, yeah, just watch from uh, LinkedIn is really where I love to converse with people about things. So, and you know that because we've had conversations on LinkedIn. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Like let's keep the conversations going because these are important. And as I said, you know, this may be the best advice today, and my advice may be evolving and changing as I get more experience with it. I may have more tips and tips. We'll be watching for that. <laughs> we'll be on again. Nick. Definitely, definitely watching, definitely watching for it because things are changing uh, daily here um, or here being anywhere in, on the planet. Uh, really appreciate you coming back to the show, Leanne. I uh, really appreciate Jenny uh, bringing her back. Yeah. And- we really appreciate you, our listeners, our audience, to this podcast team. Anywhere, if you've loved this episode uh, like we did, please share this with your friends. Uh, please uh, give us a rating, give us some comments so that more people will find out about how to team anywhere. And with that, we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.